Right now, Amazon is offering some amazing extra perks that come with a job offer. If you start a warehouse job, you can get a $1,000 sign-on bonus. That means you start earning a paycheck right away, plus you get extra cash to use before the holidays. Applying is so easy, you don't even need an interview. It's never been so rewarding to start an hourly job that's close to home. So what are you waiting for? To join the team today, visit Amazon.com slash sign-on bonus. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Can mainline churches plant new congregations? This is episode 83 of En Route. Podcast that is at the intersection of church and Maine. I am Dennis Sanders, and I am your host. So uh, this coming Easter Sunday, there is a congregation in South Minneapolis that will hold its last worship service after 105 years. This particular closing has a lot of meaning for me. Um, it was the church that I interned at 20-some years ago when I was in seminary. So it's sad to see um, that it is ending its visible ministry. And this church is one of many that are going to close this year. In fact, many churches closed during and as a result of the COVID-19 lockdown. Uh, Lifeway Research, which is affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention, surveyed 34 Protestant denominations, and they found out that in 2019, 4,500 churches closed, and 3,000 churches were started. Now, that's an increase of churches closing from 2014, when 4,000 churches were opened and 3,700 churches closed. So, yeah, more churches are closing than opening. There is another survey that even paints an even darker picture, According to the Center for Analytics, Research, and Data that is affiliated with the United Church of Christ, they say that in the decade ending with 2020, between 3850 and 7700 congregations closed each year, which broke itself down to 75 to 150 congregations closing per week. And this same survey projected that this rate is going to ex- has will accelerate in the wake of the pandemic. Now, it seems to be that mainline Protestant churches seem to be closing at a faster clip than their evangelical counterparts, though it should be noted evangelical churches are closing as well. But the question I want to focus on here is, can more progressive faith traditions still plant churches? Well, today I talked to Paul Moore. Um, He is a pastor of Chain of Lakes Presbyterian Church in Blaine, Minnesota. Uh, He worked through the Presbytery of the Twin Cities area, which is part of the Presbyterian Church USA. And together he was able to help plant, plant this new church in the northern Twin Cities suburbs over 10 years ago. Uh, It is finally today 
um, in the process of building its own church building. It should actually be ready uh, by Pentecost. And so in this um, interview, we talk a little bit about the challenges of planting a new church, um, his own kind of journey of planting new, of, of planting a new congregation, the future of church plant and the future of church planting within mainline Protestant uh, churches. So let's listen to Paul Moore. Paul, it's great to uh, hear from you again. Yes. So I think the first thing um, we'd want to hear is kind of your story of how you became a uh, church planting pastor. You did not begin as uh, planting churches um, as a pastor, but how did you end up on that journey? Right. So um, I started my pastoral ministry by serving a redevelopment church in uh, Plainview, Minnesota. Uh, and I went there, it's kind of hard to believe that it's 29 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it seems like in some ways just yesterday. Um, but when I went there, uh, we I described it, and I think they would have too, as an old church with an old building, with old people, um, with old ideas, but they wanted to live. And they actually had a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank that they were ready to blow it all on a new pastor. So I found that to be very um, exciting and interesting. Plainview was somewhat of a growing community. Uh, and um, right, so it was a redevelopment. And we were um, able to redevelop um, this new church or, or redevelop that church. Uh, and it was just great. We, we almost doubled the size of the congregation at one point, or at least our worship attendance uh, we built a million-dollar building. We were very involved in the community uh, with doing a lot of different things. So in that process, I was became part of the Presbytery at the time, had a new church development, redevelopment um, committee, uh, and I was part of that. Now, I've always been interested in starting new things. Um, even before I went to seminary and um, was a pastor, I, worked, I was a community organizer. Mm. Uh, for Acorn, and we started pretty much um, community groups from scratch. We went door to door in low income neighborhoods, and I was also an organizer for the farm workers in California. So I've always kind of had that starting new things um, from scratch in my blood uh, or in my DNA, and you know, just seeing other the success of some new churches was really interesting and exciting to me. Uh, and I wasn't going to serve, you know, I served, eventually I served in Plainview for 16 years, which, uh, is quite remarkable. And, you know, I didn't go there thinking I was going to retire. So kind of given my interest in new church, um, some of the things that can be done with new churches, uh, my kind of work in the presbytery, that was part of my kind of what led me to want to be led me to apply, I guess, as a new church development pastor. And 
Can you tell a little bit about the um, new church where it's located um, in the Twin Cities? Right. So we're located, Chena Lakes, um, we're located in Blaine. It's one of the fastest growing suburbs um, in the Twin Cities. We were started with an old model of church development, church development. It's called the parachute drop. Um, and basically you drop the pastor into the community and give them some funding for about for a while, declining funding over, I think, five years and say, uh, go to work. It's all yours. Um, so that was kind of the start of Chain of Lakes. And then we, you know, in 2011, the Presbyterian purchased just a beautiful piece of property um, in a well-traveled area. And soon, within the next two months, we're going to uh, enter our first building. So we're real excited about that. So what were the first few days for first few years of um chain of lakes like for you? Um because you right. know at that point it was very much in its infancy, um, right. didn't have a per- permanent place to worship. How did it what were how was what was it like? What were some challenges? Right. So the most important thing for me when I came to the new church and when I started there was developing our identity. Um, and I said, okay. And that's what I said. The the first meeting that I had was with seven families. Uh, and I said, you know, we, obviously we need to get more people, um, and all of that and start worshiping and all the things that a new congregation does, but there's something even more important than that. And that is our purpose, um, our purpose and our values. Uh, and how I think of it, our purpose is, is why do you exist? Answering the question, why do you exist? And our values are our foundation. Um, So we spent um, that first nine months working really hard um, as a community at developing, I mean, we were a very small community, uh, at developing our purpose statement and our core values. And we've been very faithful to that. And we talk about them a lot. so that was really exciting. And that, that um, be, because ultimately where we landed, our purpose statement is um, we are called to be an authentic Christian community where strangers become friends, friends become disciples, disciples impact the world. So everybody in our congregation knows that. I'm pretty confident of that. Uh, we talk about it. We say that every Sunday in worship. Or we, um, and then our values also, we have eight core values uh, that are just foundational. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after that, it's just getting going, uh, getting people, getting the word out. Cause nobody knows you. Uh, nobody knows you and you don't know the community. And so that was, cause I was, I had, I was new to the Blaine area. Um, and that was a huge, and then that was a huge challenge. Finding a place to worship. We, we, and this is a typical thing for new churches. we, Eventually, we worshiped in a lot of different locations, uh, um, which was which was hard on us. And it, it never allowed us to establish kind of a presence. Eventually, we landed in a, um, a bridal studio in a strip mall. And that's where we've been since uh, December of 2014. And then in a couple months, we'll go to our new prop, our building our property. You said earlier you were talking about um, 
different modes of church planning and that your your mode was an old way called um, the parachute drop. How successful was it for, do you think it was for you and how successful do you think that is for at all these days? Right. So the parachute drop at one time was very successful, um, but it doesn't work anymore. And the Presbyterian Church has recognized that for a long time. I don't even, I could be wrong about this, but I don't even know of a Presbyterian Church who, who's used that model since we used, since, since we tried that. Um, and to be fair, our Presbytery tried really hard not to use that model because they know that it's so hard. But eventually it just came to the point where that was what we had. That, and that, I mean, um, we had a pastor, a gathering pastor who had um, gathered a few people from other churches. And the hope was that more people would be gathered. Um, but then then the person worked really hard, did a good job, but we were only able to gather seven families. So it was kind of like, this is it. So I don't think, quite frankly, anybody uses that. I mean, maybe a few people do, but it, it's really hard. It's because you just lack a lot. I mean, and that model was used in kind of like, if you open a church, people will come. Mm. And, and you know, we live in a much different culture now uh, where oh, people, you open a church and people like, it's no big deal. Um, and people don't come. And then for Presbyterians, you know, we don't have like, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, a local McDonald's, you know, you open a McDonald's and you go to the McDonald's cause you know, McDonald's, well, people don't know what a Presbyterian is. So it has no, it has no connection to many people. Um, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to start this new church in Blaine and we're going to appeal to the Presbyterians. And that's what we did. We got seven families. <laughs> so, I mean, so, and that's not a criticism. That's just reality. Um, and so the model people, you know, it, I mean, maybe some churches can do it, but it, the, the Presbyterian church a long time ago, they went to a different model of, of starting churches. And what are those, those models that people would use? These well, right now, um, there, the, the PCUSA does what's called thousand one worshiping communities. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's a very creative model. And it's basically, um, I'm probably not going to say this exactly right, but it, it's based on different types of interest. I was just on their website and it's like, I was reading, I saw, and they have a number of videos on their website. A person could do a Google search for 1001 worshiping communities, Presbyterian PCUSA and go there. But like one person, a woman had experienced a lot of pain um, as a woman. And I think she had suffered abuse. So she reached out to other people with who had been, who had that similar experience and they, they formed this worshiping community based on a common interests. There was uh, another church that has started from people who do podcasts who are really interested in podcasts. So you could think of different interests as bringing people together and they could be very different interests. So like you could start, I'm just off the top of my head here. I mean, you could start a church based on people who like to collect baseball cards or, you know, a common interest and then bring that group of people together 
and starts um, faith conversations and eventually um, a new church. And some of those churches, they're not designed to eventually become a church. They're, they, that's why that, that, that language of new worshiping communities um, has been used. So that's, that's a model. I mean, I think the best way, I don't know the best way, but an effective way to start churches is when churches start churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so if like a large church, and you have to be a large church to have that number of people, if they send out a group of, you know, 50 people or 100 people to a particular area and they develop a common purpose with hopefully a pastor or a spiritual leader and and that I think can work. Uh, so that's, you know, that's another model. I mean, a lot of new church, if you want to become like a congregation, you know, the, the big challenge is always resources. Mm-hmm. So, you know, human, you never have enough resources. No. Um, so we're always lacking in human resources and financial resources and technical resources. Uh, so that's just something, <laughs> I mean, you just deal with that every day. Um, so those, those are the, and then, you know, we have a culture that is not quite as interested in church. So and I'm, I'm getting probably a little away from the question, but I'm sure we'll be talking about obstacles and um, you know, those are, those are the big, those are some big obstacles. So it seems like maybe within the last maybe 20, 30 years, um, mainline denominations have not planted as many churches um, as they once did. Um, And one could say that they're probably closing more um, worshiping communities than um, planting new ones. Do why do you think that that is? Um, I think that a number of things. One is it's cost. When you use a parachute drop model that we used, it's a very costly model. You know, our presbytery probably ended up spending, I'm not going to throw a number up, but they, they spent significant resources on Chain of Lakes Church. Mm-hmm. You know, the paradox in all of that is we always felt under-resourced. Mm. Now, and now I'm not saying, you know, but if you're from the presbytery perspective, it's like we gave a lot to that church and they're right. They did. And from our perspective, it's like we never had enough resources and we're right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a both end. So I think part of the answer to that question is that model was really expensive. Mm. Um, and with dwindling resources in mainline churches, it's just harder to do that. I also think that a lot of mainline denominations have moved have moved more towards a social justice orientation, which is marvelous. That's one of the reasons I love being Presbyterian. But that sense of evangelism and bringing new people into forming new congregations, that fervor, which has existed in the past, I think has lessened within the PCUSA. Um, and then I think the other thing is just hard. It's just really hard to do. Um, so, I mean, I, I would say those just off the top of my head, those would be three reasons. Um, you know, it's just hard, it's expensive, um, and kind of that 
evangelical fervor, we've lost a little bit of that um, as a denomination. Why do you think that that evangelical fervor is gone? Because it seems you're right. We were very right. strong on the social justice part, and that's important. But when it comes to kind of that fervor of, of sharing the gospel, it seems really we don't have that anymore. Right. And there, there are places that do, and there are pockets that do. Um, I think that we just personally, I just don't think we've done a good job at teaching what evangelism is. So oftentimes we think of evangelism as being out on the street corner or going door to door or doing that type of evangelism when that's not really evangelist. I mean, that is evangelism, but that's not the type of evangelism that works with, you know, in the Presbyterian church. Um, you know, so just, we haven't really taught about learning your faith story, sharing your faith story, um, having spiritual conversations with people, um, looking for, op- and just the importance and what's at stake when you do that. Um, so I think those are a few things that we're just haven't done well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember when I was in plain view, um, I was always looking for evangelism conferences and I, you know, we, I think we had some within the Presbyterian church, but I would usually have to go outside. Um, and then for a denomination who's probably a little more left leaning, sometimes evangelism, I is almost like a dirty word in the sense like, Oh, it's this really conservative type of ministry. So I think it's been branded that way when, when it doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know those, those, it's a really important piece. And like, so my ministry ever since I started, it's always been the same. We, we try to focus on evangelism and we try to focus on justice. It's a both and, and somehow in our church, in our denomination, really, it feels like we almost have this either or, right? You're either going to be really justice oriented or, you're going to be evangelism oriented. And we just haven't been able to create these communities that are both. Mm. So where do you think the future of church planting is, especially in mainly churches? Because as you said, it's a lot of resources and we don't have as much resources as we once did. The culture has changed. So it's not as easy to, it's not just put out a, a, a sign and people will start right. coming to your church. So what are some ways of starting new faith communities that I guess are more in line with the 21st century than the 20th? Well, I think the thousand one worship communities is a terrific model. Uh, And I I really think that those types of faith communities can work, especially when they're organized around interests, um, whatever they are. Uh, So I think that's, one model. And I, I do, there are going to be entrepreneurial type of people who are, who come from a mainline perspective, who are willing to, you know, who, who are willing to take the risk of starting new churches, um, who might not have any money. Um, and then I also think that churches starting churches, that's what I wish we could have more of is our larger churches continuing to see that as part of their ministry. And there are some, and there are churches that do like even, you know, Westminster here in Minneapolis, they've done a lot of work with um, 
uh, Grace Trinity in Minneapolis. And that, that was more of a redevelopment than a new church, but you know, that's really significant. Excuse me there. I'm getting over a cold. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that was kind of interesting about Westminster is um, in Minneapolis is that they sort of reached out or kind of worked with Grace Trinity. Um, and it looks like they have really, it has really changed and transformed that congregation. Um, do you think that the Presbyterians are doing a, a, a good message of telling, especially large or tall steeple congregations that they're looking into considering to plant new communities? No, I think, well, I'm just, I don't have like specific examples, but you don't really see a lot of new churches starting from traditional churches. And there probably are many. I just, it just doesn't seem like a focus of our denomination right now. Um, and I think a thousand and one has been a, has been a focus. Um, but from what I see, I don't really see that whether it's encouragement or, you know, of large, larger congregations, starting congregations. Um, Why do you think it matters to have new churches? Um, you know, I think several years ago, there was a, a case that when I was ser um, serving as an associate in a congregation, that the people in the church thought it was a waste of time. Um, sure. Well, I think that new churches can reach people that established churches can't. Mm -hmm. um, and that people are willing to go. There's something exciting or interesting in new congregations that doesn't I mean, that doesn't always seem to be there for existing congregations. Now, the ministry of existing congregations can be very exciting and interesting, of course. Um, but there is a, a segment of the population who won't go to existing churches, but they will go to a new church. Hmm. Uh, and so I think new churches fit an important niche. Now, one thing that people from established churches all usually forget is every church at one time was a new church. Mm -hmm. uh, just by definition. Um, so, you know, we're, we've all been new churches at one point. Uh, and, you know, so, yeah. And it's just, it's hard. And that's why I think there's a lot of Skeptic, I mean, skepticism about new churches is it's hard and people want to see rapid success. And, you know, it took us 12 years to get to our first building at Chain of Legs. Um, we think that's terrific success because we've had to overcome significant number of obstacles to get there. But, you know, um, you know, if, if you were someone who doesn't know about our story, say, well, that's a long time to start a you know, to get to a building. Um, so there's that, there's that, it's, it's just very difficult work. Looking at your congregation, especially in particular, I know you, we started with the seven um, families, seven Presbyterian families. What would you say is the makeup of the church now? Is it mostly people who have come from other churches or were, you know, cradle Presbyterians or are they people who've never been to church? Yeah, so we don't, I don't think 
we have any cradle Presbyterian. I mean, we, so we don't have any cradle Presbyterians. We have most people like at, well, Chino Lakes, um, most people have been at some point in their life to church mm-hmm. um, or they haven't been to church. We're, we're kind of a range of ages. I mean, we have el- elderly folks, but we also have young folks. Um, so what people, you know, what people find interesting about Chain of Lakes is our values. So people are accepted. They have this sense of hospitality and spiritual energy. So that's what keeps them there. Um, you know, one of our focuses at Chain of Lakes has always been to be involved in the community. And so we've focused our efforts on homelessness and youth homelessness. So many people find that um, important um, and they'll come to Chain of Lakes because of that focus. Um, so that's a little bit about the makeup of, uh, of Chain of Lakes. I mean, yeah. And in your own experience, I mean, you've talked about how it, it is a challenge and hard to, to start a new churches. What do you think were some of the challenges that you faced personally to get Chain of Lakes off the ground? Well, I think the challenge is you're always trying to communicate uh, to people that this is possible. Uh, because there's always that doubt mm. about whether, whether you can... Um, do this. And we, we experienced that skepticism all the time, whether it was from the wider presbytery or just people, you know, we're a church in a bridal studio. So we're constantly, you know, we constantly had to make that. We don't feel like a church in a traditional building. Um, so we're constantly, I mean, in terms of the challenges, we're constantly making that case for the church and going back to our purpose and our values and say, this is why this is really important. What we're doing, the community needs this type of the wider community needs this type of faith community. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then you just have to, you know, so we just have to deal with constant setbacks. You know, we never have enough money. We never have enough people. Um, at least that's our experience. Um, so you're just always scrambling to, to fill those gaps. And for some people, that's just tiring. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't want to do that. Uh, um, so, you know, as a pastor, you're as a new church pastor, you're always trying to get to the next place and then to the next place and then to the next place and keeping people there. I mean, with you, that's certainly one of the challenges. Hmm. So if you were, if you were to meet someone, a a young seminarian who maybe um, is going to be ordained soon and and is probably one of those rare mainline ones that are interested in planting churches, what would you tell them? Right. Well, I would be really excited for them. I would encourage them because our denomination, we need that type of entrepreneurial a leadership. I mean, everybody does, but I mean, that's, that's a gift. What I would tell them is to get a coach um, because you can't do this by yourself. So get somebody who get to know somebody who has a lot of experience with new churches Mm -hmm. and meet with that person 
and get to know that person. I would also encourage that person to go and find churches that they really value or look up to. So you have a clear sense of, and then for yourself, have a clear sense of what you're trying to create. I mean, God's, God's at the start of all of this, but we're, you know, I have a, a type of church that I was trying to create. So, um, and that, and that was because, you know, I had 16 years at my other church where I was always looking at other churches and trying to imagine what a, a what type of church I would like to lead. Um, so having a coach kind of being clear about the type of church that you want. Um, and then, um, Oh, always looking for resources, you know, because resources, like I said, we're always, we always have the sense of being under-resourced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think getting an assessment, like the PCUSA does assessments for, potential new church pastors. And I'm sure there's other ways that somebody could get an assessment. So I think that would be really helpful um, to get a professional assessment. You know, if, you know, do other people see these gifts in you that you might identify in yourself? Mm -hmm. So those would be four things um, that I would encourage somebody to to go forward. And where do you see Chain of Lakes in the next few years? Do you see them actually planting a church of their own? Well, we'd love to. Um, so in the next, it probably wouldn't happen in the next few years. So our next few years are all going to be about enjoying this new building. Well, not enjoying, but leveraging our new building for growth. Uh, so that's where we're going to be at. Um, once we get to a certain size, I would, yes, I would love to start. Um, uh, new church. There's plenty of places to do that. Um, you know, I think with with COVID and the change in technology, you know, I don't think geography is is as important to people anymore. Um, so I think there's going to be lots of ways that new faith communities can connect um, that we've learned because we were forced to through COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, as, as some, as potential for the future, but yeah, over time, it'd be terrific to start in the church. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it is something that I, I think you're right in trying to find churches that will have the resources and also the, the drive to kind of do that and leadership, um, because I think that that all of those have to kind of come together in, in starting a new church. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So kind of going back and I, I think one of my hopes in, in the future is actually to talk to someone from the thousand and one new congregations. But um, do you think that you said earlier that not all of these are going to be long-term or even traditional churches. But do you think that this at least can um, ignite a spark for people to? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think 1001 worshiping communities, that's the way that we're starting. PCUSA is starting churches right now. Um, I don't have a lot of 
knowledge of other mainline denominations and what they're doing. I would imagine that they're encountering the same types of challenges that PCUSA has. But I think that to answer your question, I think that 1001 is, that's the avenue. And those are the people that know. And, and there's a community of people within the PCUSA who are very passionate about new church. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're all there and they're, and they're always willing to talk to people. Okay. Um, and I think that that's good to know. I think, um, I mean, we do have something in my own denomination. Um, it's a small group, but it is, there are people that are, are passionate about it. Um, I think the trick is how do you kind of get people or get more people interested? Right. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if a lot of this is going to cross denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, mainline church, the whole, our denominations are dwindling. So, you know, whether we're Presbyterian or Lutheran or, you know, Disciples of Christ or Methodist or UCC, I don't think that is going to matter to people as much. You know, I've never thought that that matters to people in the wider culture. You know, people don't come to Chain of Lakes because we're Presbyterian. Uh, we could be Methodist or UCC or, you know, any of those mainline denominations. And I don't think, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but, you know, we could, if we change to Disciples of Christ overnight and told that, to, I mean, some people would question, but I don't think it would make a difference to half of our congregation. Um, and I don't mean that. I mean, I, for me personally, I love being Presbyterian. I, I share, I've shared often that, you know, you cut me open and I bleed Presbyterian. So I have a great, great passion for the Presbyterian church, but it just doesn't matter in my sense to many of the people in the wider community. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think the, we're not, um, people do not follow kind of denominations like brands. And I think that was the case maybe 50 years ago, six years ago. Right. Yeah. I think you're right for sure. Well, I think to a final question I wanted to ask is, um, do you see, especially in your area? um, Well, let me try that again. Would you do this again? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I would certainly do this again. And, you know, because I'm so excited right now about going into our building, this is what we've been waiting for, for 12 years. And I'm really excited to see what happens. Um, I think we're well positioned for a lot of growth Mm -hmm. Now, whether that happens, we'll see, but I think, um, I mean, so right now is a really good time to ask me that question uh, because this is this is what we've been. This is why I started this church because um, I wanted to see a rapidly growing mainline Presbyterian church, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's going to happen. Now we'll see. Maybe it won't, um, but at least we're positioned to do that. Mm-hmm. And for the rest, it's up to God. So, you know. If I knew in 2008 what I know now, you know, I don't know what if I could have done anything differently because, you know, that's just the way it started. I mean, you know, sure, it would have been nice if I had known somebody who could give us a million dollars. But, you know, 
most of us don't know that person. And I, I, I had spent a long time kind of researching and preparing myself. And I don't think I could have done much more. Uh, so yeah, it is what it is. Um, and I'm really happy. I think what's important for us is we're really excited about where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, thanks. This has been a good interview. And I think I'm, I'm hoping that there are going to be people who are listening to this podcast that um, are interested in planning churches and yes. uh, hopefully will um, this will be a catalyst to hear this and hear what you have to say. Absolutely. And I don't, and Dennis, I mean, I certainly don't claim to be, what I have is an experience. I don't claim to be an expert at all. Um, we make mistakes all the time, but I'm certainly willing to share our story and I can share our mistakes and, and um, the things that we've done well. And I can share our story. And if people want to email me, they can, you know, send me an email, pastor at coldpress.org. You know, the website of our church is coldpress.org. You can learn more about that. And I'm very willing to share our story or to be helpful in whatever way that I can. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing those uh, web address and email. And um, hopefully someone will be calling you soon. Right. So, well, thanks uh, for your interest too, Dennis. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Keep up the great work. Thank you. As I said in a recent episode, uh, I'm only closing with one call to action. So this time, I want to talk to you about considering leaving a tip. There is a link in the description where you can make a donation of any amount. And I'll be honest, I, I have in the past felt guilty of asking for money at all, and especially with a religious podcast, just it used to feel bad. But the fact of the matter is that this uh, does cost um, to put this podcast on the air. Um, I don't expect that it's going to pay, you know, give me, pay my bills and do everything for me, but it will help. Um, so if you are, if you like what you're hearing and consider leaving a donation and leaving a tip also helps me to know who's listening to the podcast and I'd like to know who's listening. So please do me a solid and leave a tip. It will mean a lot to me. So that is it for this episode of Enroute, the podcast at the intersection of Church and Maine. I am Dennis Sanders, your host. I do want to say thank you so much for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and see you soon.
There's an uneasiness growing within today's parents. Questions arise around what our kids are being taught, exposed to, and influenced by. Thankfully, a fully engaged, well-informed parent is a powerful thing. And that's why I support Answers in Genesis, and I would recommend you do as well, because it's important to remember that the battle for our kids' minds isn't one in the courts or the classrooms. It's one from the safety and comfort of our own home. So be the difference our kids need and visit www.answers.gift today.